corner, Violet saw the market where she and her siblings had shopped for ingredients to make dinner for Count Olaf, the notorious villain who had become their guardian after the fire. Even after all this time, with Olaf trying scheme after scheme to get his hands on the enormous fortune the Baudelaire parents had left behind, the market looked the same as the day Justice Strauss, a kindly neighbour and a judge in the High Court, had first taken them there. Towering over the market was an enormous shiny building that Klaus recognised as 667 Dark Avenue, where the Baudelaire's had spent some time under the care of Jerome and Esme Squalor in an enormous penthouse apartment. It seemed to the middle Baudelaire that the building had not changed one bit since the siblings had first discovered Esme's treacherous and romantic attachment to Count Olaf. And Sunny Baudelaire, who was still small enough that her view out of the window was somewhat restricted, heard the rattle of a manhole cover as the taxi drove over it, and remembered the underground passageway she and her siblings had discovered, which led from the basement of 667 Dark Avenue to the ashen remains of their own home. Like the market and the penthouse, the mystery of this passageway had not changed, even though the Baudelaire's had discovered a secret organization known as VFD that the children believed had constructed many such passageways. Each mystery the Baudelaire's discovered only revealed another mystery, and another, and another, and several more, and another as if the three siblings were diving deeper and deeper into a pond, and all the while the city lay calm on the surface, unaware of all the unfortunate events in the orphans' lives. Even now, returning to the city that was once their home, the Baudelaire orphans had solved few of the mysteries overshadowing them. They didn't know where they were headed, for instance, and they scarcely knew anything about the woman driving the automobile, except her name. "'You must have thousands of questions, Baudelaire's,' said Kit Snicket, spinning the steering wheel with her white-gloved hands. Violet, who had adroit technical faculties, a phrase which here means a knack for inventing mechanical devices, admired the automobile's purring machinery as the taxi made a sharp turn through a large metal gate and proceeded down a curvy, narrow street lined with shrubbery. I wish we had more time to talk, but it's already Tuesday. As it is, you scarcely have time to eat your important brunch before getting into your concierge disguises and beginning your observations as flâneurs. Concierge? Violet asked. Flâneurs? Klaus asked. Brunch? Sunny asked. Kit smiled and manoeuvred the taxi through another sharp turn. Two books of poetry skittered off the passenger seat to the floor of the automobile. The Walrus and the Carpenter and Other Poems by Lewis Carroll and The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. The Baudelaire's had recently received a message in code and had used the poetry of Mr. Carroll and Mr. Elliot in order to decode the message and meet Kit Snicket on Briny Beach, and now it seemed that perhaps Kit was still talking in riddles.
A great man once said that right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil, triumphant. Do you understand what that means? Violet and Sonny turned to their brother, who was the literary expert in the family. Klaus Baudelaire had read so many books, he was practically a walking library, and had recently taken to writing important and interesting facts in a dark blue commonplace book. I think so, the middle Baudelaire said. He thinks that good people are more powerful than evil people, even if evil people appear to be winning. Is he a member of VFD? You might say that, Kit said. Certainly his message applies to our current situation. As you know, our organization split apart some time ago with much bitterness on both sides. The schism, Violet said. Yes, Kit agreed with a sigh. The schism. VFD was once a united group of volunteers trying to extinguish fires, both literally and figuratively. But now there are two groups of bitter enemies. Some of us continue to extinguish fires, but others have turned to much less noble schemes. Olaf, Sonny said. The language skills of the youngest Baudelaire were still developing, but everyone in the taxi knew what Sonny meant when she uttered the name of the notorious villain. Count Olaf is one of our enemies, Kit agreed, peering into her rear-view mirror and frowning. But there are many, many more who are equally wicked, or perhaps even more so. If I'm not mistaken, you met two of them in the mountains, a man with a beard but no hair, and a woman with hair but no beard. There are plenty more, with all sorts of hairstyles and facial ornaments. A long time ago, of course, you could spot members of VFT by the tattoos on their ankles, but now there are so many wicked people, it is impossible to keep track of all our enemies, and all the while they are keeping track of us. In fact, we may have some enemies behind us at this very moment. The Baudelaire's turned to look out of the rear window and saw another taxi driving behind them at quite a distance. Like Kit Snicket's automobile, the windows of this taxi were tinted, and so the children could not see anything through the darkened glass. Why do you think there are enemies in that taxi? Violet asked. A taxi will pick up anyone who signals for one, Kit said. There are countless wicked people in the world, so it follows that sooner or later a taxi will pick up a wicked person. Or a noble one, Klaus pointed out. Our parents took a taxi to the opera one evening when their car wouldn't start. I remember that evening well, Kit replied with a faint smile. It was a performance of La Forza del Destino. Your mother was wearing a red shawl with long feathers along the edges. During intermission I followed them to the snack bar and slipped them a box of poison darts before Esme Squalor could catch me. It was difficult, but, as one of my comrades likes to say, to be daunted by no difficulty, to keep heart when all have lost it, to go through intrigue spotless, to forego even ambition when the end is gained. Who can say this is not greatness? 
And, speaking of greatness, please hold on. We can't allow a potential enemy to follow us to our important brunch. When someone says that their head is spinning, they are usually using an expression which means that they are very confused. Certainly the Baudelaire's had occasion to use the expression in this way, after listening to a person hurriedly summarizing the troubles of a splintered secret organization and quoting various historical figures on the subject of wickedness while driving a taxi hurriedly towards some mysterious, unexplained errands. But there are rare moments when the expression, my head is spinning, refers to a time when one's head is actually spinning, and when Kit uttered the word brunch, one of those moments arrived. The steering wheel clasped firmly in her gloves. Kit turned the taxi so sharply that it spun off the road. The children's heads, along with the rest of their bodies, spun along with the automobile as it veered into the dense green shrubbery on the side of the road. When the taxi hit the shrubbery, it kept spinning, and for a few seconds the siblings saw nothing but a green blur as the car spun through the shrubbery and heard nothing but the crackle of branches as they scraped along the sides of the car and felt nothing but relief that they had remembered to wear their seat belts. And then, all of a sudden, the Baudelaire head stopped spinning, and they found themselves shaky but safe in a sloping lawn on the other side of the shrubbery, where the taxi had come to a stop. Kit turned off the engine and sighed deeply, leaning her head against the steering wheel. <sighs> I probably shouldn't do that, she said, in my condition. Condition? Sunny asked. Kit lifted her head and turned to fully face the Baudelaire's for the first time.